All right, church, good morning. <clears throat> good morning, good morning. It is good to have you here with us. Once again, thanks for being flexible with us while we're out of our normal routine. We are normally in Alumni Hall, as most of you uh, know already, uh, but uh, I'm glad you found us here in Thomas Building. Just a reminder, as, as mentioned in the announcement, next week we will still be out of Alumni Hall, unfortunately, but we will at least be in the hub, and uh, we'll be in Heritage Hall, so spread the word, and please make note of that change. Uh, also, you heard in the announcement next week uh, for the Coffee and Fellowship Hour, we, we typically have a 10 o'clock uh, coffee hour where we serve some food and some refreshments. We get to uh, fellowship together as a community and as a church family. Next week, um, we're going to devote that time specifically towards those who are newcomers. So if you are new to our church family and you want to learn a little bit more about us and who we are and, and how to get involved, you get to meet some of our leaders here at our church, uh, please join us for that 10 o'clock hour. And uh, of course, that doesn't exclude all of you regular attenders. You're more than welcome to join us, but we especially want to extend an invite to those who are new to our church family. So in any case, glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be spending our time here today, so if you've got a smart device or an actual Bible, go ahead and open that up to Luke chapter 8. I've titled today's message, The Depths of Our Soul, The Depths of Our Soul, Part 1. And the reason there's a part one is because there is a part two. And the reason why there's a part two is because as I began to prepare this message, I realized that this subject is so massive, it is so big, that there was no way I was going to fit everything into just one sermon. And so we're spreading this message out over the course of this week and next week to talk about the depths of our soul. Now, Church, I don't know what you think of when you think about your soul. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I have given zero thought to my soul. I don't think about my soul at all. That's not something I think about on a regular basis. But friends, you ought to know that the Bible talks extensively about the soul. The inner person, our heart. In fact, the Bible interchanges those two words quite often, the soul and the heart. But, but what the Bible is referring to when it uses that terminology, our hearts, our soul, is it's, it's our internal being. It's our inner person. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells the Israelites to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Jesus reiterates this later on in the Gospels in the New Testament when he gives us the great commandment. But what, he's, what, what God is referred to here is to, to love God with everything you've got on the inside. God says to the people of Israel in Ezekiel 36, he says, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to take your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. You see, there is this work of renewal that God seeks to do from within us, not just outside of us, but from within us. In Proverbs 4.23, one of my favorite verses, Solomon instructs us to guard our hearts above all else. Right, like in, in, in all of your prioritizing in life, he says, make this your top priority to guard your heart. Why? For it is the wellspring of of life. In other words, everything comes out of that place called your heart, your soul, your innermost being. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, not what goes into them. For from within, not without, from within, out of the heart of a man come 
Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Oh, is that it, Jesus? Right? Like all of these things come out of a man's heart. They don't enter into a man, but they come out from within, and those are the things that defile a person, Jesus says. And so, church, over and over and over again in Scripture, we see that the soul, our hearts, the inner man or the inner woman inside of us is significantly important in the eyes of God. And so, church, let me ask you a question. How's your soul doing today? If your soul matters that much to God, and it seems as, as we take a quick survey of Scripture, it seems as though it is significantly important in the eyes of God, do you know how your soul is doing today? Better yet, let me ask you this. What are you doing to take care of your soul? You see, the truth is, most of us do a great job at tending to the, to the things of the external. We do a great job at caring for our externals. For instance, we clothe ourselves, as um, at least it appears most of us have, so thank you for that this morning. We clothe ourselves, right? We feed ourselves. We nourish ourselves. We take care of our physical health, right? And we, we keep watch of our finances, or at least most of us try to, right? The fact is, most people take care of almost every about themselves, but when it comes to the matters of the soul, our hearts, the inner man, the inner woman, well, we don't always know how to take care of that part of our lives, do we? And so today I want to look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 8 using the story that Jesus told to show us what taking care of our souls might look like. The story we're going to look at is a familiar story. If you grew up in the church or if you grew up in Christianity, it's a parable. It's a, it's a story that Jesus told to get a point across. And the story we're going to look at in Luke chapter 8 is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably heard half a dozen messages on this very parable. Now, most people like to use this passage as sort of a discipleship process. That is, as the different types of soils change in the story, so does a person's discipleship journey, a discipleship process. So the text naturally becomes linear in progression, right? You start from one type of terrain, and as you grow and mature in faith, you move along through these different types of terrain, but today, I'd like to look at this passage through a slightly different lens. Instead of looking at it in a linear fashion, i like to propose this morning that any of us can be found in any of these terrains at any given moment in time. That, that there's not that this hard and fast linear progression, but rather any of us can be found in any of these terrains at any given moment in time. Now, for those of you who are confused as to what all this terrain talk is about, let's just go to the text and you'll see what I mean, okay? Luke chapter 8, pick me up at verse 4, and we'll carry through to verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the text up here on the screen. You can look along with us that way. Luke chapter 8, hear the word of the Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering... And people from town after town came to him, him being Jesus. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him 
here. Now, I want us to skip down to verse 11, where Jesus gives us the interpretation of this parable. He explains to his disciples what he means by this whole sower and the seeds story. In verse 11, he says this. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Friends, today I want to talk to you about three different types of souls. Not soils, souls. Jesus mentions four different types of terrain in today's text. The path, the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil. Today we're just going to cover the first three, and next week we'll unpack the last one. Now, as we talk about these three different types of souls, as I talk, you might begin to identify with one maybe more so than the other. Maybe you might identify with a combination of the three. Maybe you might even identify with all three. But whichever you identify with today, friends, can I just share a little piece of my heart with you? My hope is that you would hear the voice of Jesus speaking into your particular soul condition. I hope that you would hear the voice of the Father saying something to you about where your soul is today, the condition of your soul. And so let's look at the first type of soul. Let's just dive right in. We're going to call this the hardened soul. The hardened soul. That's the first soul that we're going to look at. Jesus said in verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. And it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, what the path is referred to is a hard ground that a seed can never grow roots in. I mean, let's face it, no one goes out, no one, you don't see anyone scattering seeds on a concrete surface that would make zero sense. And yet Jesus would identify the condition of some of our souls, perhaps even in this room, as that of a concrete surface, the path, a hardened soul. Now, while there are many ways I might describe a hardened soul, for the sake of simplicity, I'll simply describe the hardened soul this way. The hardened soul is resistant to change. The hardened soul is resistant to change. Friends, you want to know the thing about a seed. A seed goes through certain changes as it matures. In fact, that's how you know a seed is maturing, by the changes it undergoes. You see, a hardened soul, because it's resistant to change, will often shut down any move of God in their lives because of fear of change, because of the fear of change that might be required of them. Now, friends, for those of you who have been walking with Jesus any length of time, you may already know this. The hard reality is this. The very nature of a follower of Christ, the very nature of a disciple of Jesus, is by virtue a life of change. It's a life of change. It, it, it's over and over again. In fact, when you look at Scripture, you, you see that so much of Scripture talks about leaving our old selves behind in order to take up a new life with Christ. 
Romans chapter 6, right? Like, be done with your old self. Uh, Corinthians tells us that we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. That is talking about change, a changed life. The gospel calls us to lay down our lives in order to take up a new life with Christ. Folks, if you're not catching it already, that by very definition is a life of change. And to some of us, that scares us to the core. That scares us to the thought that we might have to fully give up control of our lives and potentially change in some fundamental ways and in ways that we might not even be aware of, that scares us and causes us to go running in the other direction. And when we do that, we end up hardening our souls. That's what Jesus says in verse 12. The, the ones along the path are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Folks, do you want to know one of the greatest tactics of the enemy? By the way, after this series is done, we're going to do a whole new series solely based on the things of the supernatural. We're calling it spiritual things. We're playing off of stranger things, and we're going to be talking about the upside down and Demogorgons and all kinds of stuff. And so be here for that. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be talking about the, 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 the works of the enemy. But can I just, just, just for now, can I highlight one great tactic of the enemy? The enemy loves to instill just enough fear in our hearts so that we keep just enough distance from Jesus so that we don't have to really change much at all. So that we can go to church, so that we can be part of our fellowship, so that we can be part of a small group, we can read our Bible, we can pray, but you know what, deep down inside, we are keeping just enough distance from Jesus so that we don't really need to change much at all. We just kind of keep doing what we're doing. You see, what you may not be realizing is that's the enemy where he will instill just enough fear in our hearts to keep just enough distance from Jesus so that we don't have to change at all. And you want to know what happens over time? Over time, what begins to happen is you harden your soul to the point that God's hands become tied and he can't move in your life because you won't let him. Say, I don't want to change. So I'm going to keep you at distance. And when you keep Jesus at arm's length, what you don't know is happening inside here is your soul is hardening over time. Because what Jesus loves to do is come and mold us and shape us. But in order to do that, he's got to be up close and personal. He can't do that from a distance. And so that's what a hardened soul does. Now, just fair warning, if you identify yourself here as a hardened soul, I'm not going to give you the good news quite yet. So the good news is coming. I'm going to get, I'll cover all the bad news first before we touch on any good news. And so if you're saying, okay, Dan, I get it. I'm a hard, hardened soul now. Tell me what to do about that. I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do that right now because we're going to get to that towards the end. And, uh, but, but this is Jesus identifying the path as the hardened soul. The next type of soul that I want to look at is this. It's the shallow soul. It's the shallow soul. The shallow soul is described by Jesus in this way. In verse 6, Jesus says, Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So you've got to moisturize people. That's the moral of the story here, clearly, right? Like, you know, just, you know, moisturize. No, obviously, that's not what Jesus is getting at here because he says in verse 13 later on, he says, The ones on the rock, get this, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. 
I love that. Like, like, it's not that they're hardened to it. It's not that they're antagonistic to it. They do receive it with joy, but these, he says, have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So the shallow soul can be described in this way. In short, the shallow soul cannot withstand trials and hardships. The shallow soul cannot withstand trials and hardships. Folks, I don't know if you've met people like this, or, or perhaps you yourself are like this, where when life gets hard, you get rattled at your base level. When you experience any kinds of trials or hardships, your foundation begins to literally crumble beneath you. You begin to feel like your world is imploding on you. If that's your case, your soul might be on the shallow end of the spectrum. Now listen, I don't say that to insult you. I realize none of us like to be called shallow. Oftentimes we think that that implies that we have no substance, that we're vain or we're aloof or whatever. You know, we don't have anything to offer. And, and so no one, like, no one likes to feel that way. But according to Jesus, the depth of our soul is determined by our ability to handle life's trials and hardships. The depth of our soul How deep our soul is, is determined by our ability to handle life's trials and hardships. And so here's another dose of hard reality. Friends, you are not exempt from life's trials and hardships. None of you are. If you've lived life any length of time, you know you've gone through some hardships. You've gone, maybe some of you are going through some hardships right now, some trials right now. You are not exempt from life's trials and hardships. Every single one of us are vulnerable and susceptible to life's trials and hardships. The question is, how are you responding to those? How are you responding to those moments? You know, to me, as I, as I pastor on a college campus like this, I have the opportunity to meet with dozens and dozens of different types of students and, and, and students from all different kinds of backgrounds. Some are believers, some are searching, some don't even believe they're, they're antagonistic towards the faith and they want to talk to me which means they just want to fight me, you know? And so like, cool, I'll love you, brother, I'll love you, sister, but, you know, so I have all these conversations, and to me, over time, it's always interesting to me as I observe how people handle difficult situations in their lives, how they begin to interpret their trials that they're going through in their lives. For some, I'll find people who, who run to victimization, People who victimize themselves, and and, and these are people who are convinced without a shadow of a doubt that God is against them, that God is out to get them, that God is opposed to them, because as they look around, they say, no one else seems to be struggling the way I'm struggling, and so clearly the conclusion must be, God is against me, that God is not for me. They victimize themselves. Some people live in denial. They don't victimize themselves. They don't say, woe is me. They just deny that anything hard is going on in their lives because, quite frankly, ignoring it is far easier than facing it. They don't want to face it. And so they just ignore it. They deny that, that they're going through any hardships in life and they just brush it under the rug in, in whichever way they, 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 you know, they like to do that, whether it's getting, you know, binge-watching on Netflix or getting lost in YouTube-related videos or whatever. Like, you, you do whatever you do to deny that, 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 that life is not going the way you want it to, that life is not easy, right? You, you just kind of deny that. And still yet, there are those of us who completely feel overwhelmed when life gets hard. 
and we become crippled by it. We don't victimize ourselves. We don't deny it. We just get crushed by it. We just get absolutely crushed by the weight of it all. And I think the temptation for a lot of people is to then quantify or qualify their trials or hardships. And they say, it's because I'm going through this trial, this particular hardship, that I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. It's, the, it's because of this that, I'm vict- that I feel victimized, that I feel like God is against me. It's because of this that I'm denying. It's just easier to deny than even face this. It's because of this that I feel crushed and overwhelmed. Friends, can I just, I want to push you just a little bit. Could it be that the issue is not really this, but rather it's the root system of your soul? Because here's what I know. Again, in all my times of sitting down across the table in Panera, sitting across from people, talking to them, right? Like, here's what I know. I have seen two different people go through the same exact hardship, same exact struggle, and respond fundamentally differently. The difference? When you dig a little bit deeper, what you find is that one had a far more developed root system than the other. It's not that the trial was more accentuated. It's not that the hardship was harder. The response flows out from within. Remember what Jesus said? It's from within. Your response flows from within. And so stop saying it's the trial. It's the hardship. It's, if I weren't going through this, I would have a much easier time. No, 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 no. Hang on. you got to shift your perspective a little bit. Could it be that it's not really how hard the trial is? Could it be that Jesus is saying, hey, you got a shallow root system, and we got to develop that a little bit. We got to develop that. Because the truth is, a shallow soul cannot withstand life's trials and hardships. And maybe you're, you're, you're there today. That's okay. I'm not trying to condemn you or make you feel bad about how you respond to life's hardships. But we got to be honest. We got to be honest first to say, you know what? I'm not handling it terribly well. <laughs> and so, and so there, there's, a, there's opportunity for growth there once we begin to acknowledge that. That's a shallow soul. Now that leaves us with the final, and that's the distracted soul. The distracted soul. Jesus says in verse 7, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Then Jesus explained this word picture in verse 14. Listen to what he says. He says, as for what fell among the thorns, here it is. They are those who hear, okay, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Friends, the distracted soul chases after lesser gods. The distracted soul, if you want to know, if you want to have a descriptor, here's, here's kind of it in a nutshell. The distracted soul chases after lesser gods. Jesus couldn't be clear here. He says, the thorns represent the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. In other words, there are things in our lives that will fight for our attention, that will fight for our affections, that seek to be the ultimate object of our worship. And if we give in to those things, we will be choked out and our fruit will not mature. That is what Jesus is saying. By the way, I find it highly interesting that Jesus says, that. did you notice in verse 7, he says that the thorns grew up with the seed. It, like the thorns weren't just there and just remaining idle and being 
thorny, whatever thorns do, right? It wasn't just like the thorns were there. No, Jesus seems to indicate that the way a seed would grow, we expect a seed to grow, right? The way a seed would grow, the thorns grow in the same way. And friends, isn't it true that the more attention we give to the cares and worries of our lives, our cares and worries have a way of growing? Have you ever noticed that? The more attention you give to the worries of your life, all of a sudden, your worries start compounding and growing and growing and growing. And all of a sudden, you feel the anxiety rising. You start to feel unsettled. Isn't it true that the more we give ourselves to earthly riches and pleasures, the more we find ourselves wanting more of that? The more we chase after these things, the more we say, it's never enough. And that's why for the course of the series, we're saying that the best versions of our lives can only be found in Christ and in Christ alone. But the distracted soul, but you see, the distracted soul can't see that because it is too busy chasing after lesser gods. The thorns grow and we never quite feel like the things that we're chasing after is enough to satisfy our souls. Now listen, church, <laughs> When I started mapping out this message, I was going to have a whole teaching on each of these souls, the hardened soul, the shallow soul, the distracted soul, and I was going to give you a whole bullet point, PowerPoint of like, hey, here's, here's kind of a comprehensive look at what these souls look like. And then I realized I have like a five-hour sermon on my hand, and I didn't want to do that to you guys. And so I know that there's a lot more that I can say here. On, these, on each of these categories. But for now, if I can just leave it there. I said earlier that I've got some good news coming your way. <laughs> now, most of that good news is next week. That's coming next week, okay? But I, I didn't want to leave you hanging here feeling like, ugh, I think the pastor just called me a shallow soul, like a hardened soul, like, oh, man, I feel really crappy about myself. Lord, help me, help me. Like, I don't, I don't want to leave here feeling like that. I feel you. I, so let me, let me offer up a little hope by saying this, just simply this. Jesus has more for you. If you can get your head around this, that Jesus has more for you. If you can get your head around this for the course of this entire series, we've got just a couple of more weeks of this series, and, 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 but, but if you can just get your head around this concept that Jesus has more for you, for you, you would be walking away with a tremendous gift. Not with good teaching, not with, but, but with the reality of heaven. With the reality of what God has accessible for you. Jesus has more for you. We're talking about the abundant life of Christ here, friends. And I want to tell you today that Jesus has more for you. And so, for those of you who identify with the heart and soul, Jesus has more for you. I promise you. Here's, here's oftentimes what I find about people with a hardened soul. Oftentimes, what you'll find at the root of a hardened soul is deep hurt and pain. It, it, it's at, at some moment in time, they were hurt or, or some kind of pain was experienced, and so over time, they began to harden. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on that. He talks about, you know, you, you cloister your heart off and you, you shut it in a, in a coffin to yourself, and over time... You'll, you'll start feeling that beating heart die over time. And, and, and I think a lot of times we respond to hurt and pain by just putting on an armor, hardening our soul and keeping it shut. 
And friend, if you're there today, if you're experiencing any kind of hurt or any kind of pain that causes this reaction to just put on a shell or harden your soul, can I tell you right now that Jesus has more for you? There is more healing for your life. Jesus wants to soften. He wants to mold. He wants to shape your heart in a way that would free you and heal you. He has more for you. I promise you, he has more for you. Those of you who identify with the shallow soul, Jesus has more for you. He has more for you. He wants to do, I believe, a deep work of rooting your life in him so that no amount of testing or trials will shake you at all. Friends, I would love to get to that place because just, just can I confess, there is a level of shallowness to my soul as well. I, I, don't, I don't do terribly well when, when, when my life gets spiraling out of control. And, and if we were all honest with ourselves, perhaps we would say, no matter how deep of a person you might think you are, there's a certain level of shallowness in terms of the root systems, in terms of our ability to handle life's trials and hardships, right? And so, and so can I just say to all of us, Jesus has more for us. Jesus has more for us in the way that he wants to grow our root system so that no testing or trial, John 10, 10, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When he does, we can stand our ground because our root system runs deep. Jesus has more for you. I promise you, for those of you who have a shallow soul, Jesus has more for you. And for those of you who identify with the distracted soul, you've got an ADD soul. You're like going after this thing and that, running after like all these things in your life. Jesus has more for you. His cup never runs dry. His resources never run out. His love for you is everlasting and it is all you need. We sang it before, Lord, I need you. I don't want us to get to a place where we're feeling like we're at the end of our rope and then we cry out, Lord, we need you. I want to start off every day acknowledging I can't take another step in this life if it weren't for your grace breathing life into my life. I don't want to go another step on the, in, this, in this day if without this acknowledgement that it is you who sustains me. Colossians tells us it's Jesus who holds our lives together. And you think you can do it all on your own. Have fun. Go at it. Right? But, but listen, I, I don't want us to get to a place where we're like, okay, we're at the end of our rope. We got no other solution. Come, Hail Mary, God, we need you. We need, no, no. You see, that's how a distracted soul operates. We go after all these lesser gods, and when we find out they don't, they're not satisfying us, they're not fulfilling us, oh, God, Lord, we need you. What if we were to be a people that just stopped chasing after lesser gods and chased after the one true God? What, what would that look like for your life? Friends, Jesus has more for you. Jesus has more for you than any care, riches, or pleasures that life can offer you. And so, friends, no matter where you find yourself today, can I encourage you, just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus.